Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. I've got two brand new guests on. Rescue the Foster Fosters is founded by Sylvia Beachy and Kajel Emmett. Sylvia Beachy has five years of experience working in the foster system. She had many roles that included staff member, case manager, transporter, parent aide, and behavior aide. She started out as a staff member at Elks Aidmore Group Home, which is where she met Kajel. And Kajel was a foster youth at Aidmore as well. Now, Kajel has aged out of the system with no place to go. This began the journey of Rescue the Fosters. Their mission is to give children and youth in the foster care a voice. They also provide resources to youth aging out of the system to keep them off the streets and out of prisons. Additionally, they strive to keep families together. Therefore, they assist families navigating the CPS nightmare. And I welcome you both to the show. You know, uh, you know, when you met Kajal, how, how did you get all this together? Well, this was not our plan. You know, God always has a different plan for us, right? Mm-hmm. So funny story about KK. So we, we actually call her KK. Um, and I've told this story a few times, but when she came into the group home, uh, they, uh, brought us, you know, they took the staff aside and uh, briefed us on her because she was a runaway. And so they told us, you know, like, you got to watch out for her. She's a runner. You got to keep your eyes and make sure that she's not going to run. So we were thinking that this girl was going to be this tough, like arrogant, talk back child. Mm -hmm. And she comes in smiling and she's like this, the sweetest person. And, you know, like, she did run one time, but uh, other than that, she wasn't like she followed the rules. She was very compliant. She was had manners. Uh, but the thing is, is that's the other thing I noticed when working in the system. When you read the profile that they put on the child, you're automatically thinking you're in this defense mode of, all right, she's going to be defiant. She's going to, you know, she's going to act out. She has behavior issues. And a lot of times when you get to know the child, that's not the case. Uh, KK was running because she was being abused. And that was the reason she was running. So if you get down to the root cause of the problem, then you, it's a completely different story. But um, so rescue the fosters, you know, when we met, we had no idea this was going to, you know, happen. Uh, But I've known KK for now about five years because mm-hmm. she was 15 when I met her and she just aged out at 21. And when you age out of the system, uh, they basically drop you on the streets. They say, where would you like to be dropped off? And that's um, what gave us this idea. And, and I keep saying that our youth are on the streets and um, we really need to help them so that's how that started but it was not planned I will tell you that yeah it's I've I've often told um guests on my show that sometimes advocacy chooses you yes (laughs) and absolutely um I was interviewing Robert Hansen and he was saying that in California that you know he interviews homeless as well and a lot of them are you know, from foster care. Yeah. Yeah. With no skills. Right. With no skills. And then they're not given their paperwork. Mm -hmm. Um, So they don't have, so it's difficult for them to get like an ID or um, just normal things that you would need to get a a license, a -hmm. job, a house or apartment, you know, and, um, And I think I told you about the story that I did meet uh, a foster youth and was able to connect him with his family. So, um, but I don't know if you want to ask more questions or if you want me to go right into that. Yeah, that is, you know, how did you find out who his family was? You don't have to mention any names or anything, but, um, you know, 
did he remember you know yes so he he actually said a lot of key uh words and when i spoke to him so i i'd been saying we need to start getting out in the community and i noticed this guy he looked young he was carrying a homeless sign and he was waving and i kept noticing him while i was dashing and it was slow and i was like i'm just gonna go say hello so i grabbed ten dollars and i walked up to him and i said hey what's your story and he goes well i just ended up in bethlehem because um i i found my biological father and my foster father didn't like it and he cut me off and he goes he's a he's a big known man in lj georgia he goes he ruined my name i couldn't get a job and he goes i've been on the street since i met my biological dad and I said, well, is there anything that I can help you get off the streets? And he goes, yeah, I need an ID. And mm-hmm. he goes, I don't have any documents. And if I could get an ID, then I could get a job um, and I could get off the streets. And I said, yeah, I said, I can help you do that. I said, let me give you my number. So when I went to say, I said, my name is Sylvia. And he goes, oh, my God, that's my biological mother's name. He goes, her name is Sylvia Page Strickland. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying her names because we did have them on our podcast and we, they did tell their story and they are okay with it being out in the open. But uh, he is, but he said it with conviction, like, remember that name. He is, I've been looking for her. And um, he said, he told me that his case was a guardianship. So he gave me a lot of key, uh, key words that he didn't realize he gave me because he gave me his biological mother's name. He gave me the city he was in. He gave me guardianship. Uh, So those were things that I could not have known. Right. I Mm -hmm. couldn't make that up. So when we reached out to the family and Terry with let our children go is amazing. And she does awesome research. And within 24 to 48 hours, she had located the sister-in-laws. And so when she started telling them, no, I have Sylvia who met, your son you know Blake the son and she just started saying you know it was a guardianship it was LJ Georgia it was a prominent man and they're like yes that's him so it was you have to really when you're talking to people and I didn't have a pen with me I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. to have this conversation but as soon as he said those key words then I immediately text Terry and was like this is all I have and um, I was on the phone with the mom within 48 hours. Um, I went back and I couldn't find them. And I said, well, let me give you my location. And then that way you can come look. So I gave her my, I sent my location and they went out there. Her, her husband went out there and found him and put him on the phone with her and she asked him his birthday and he's like yeah and she hadn't seen him since he was six and he was 22 and he had been on the street since he was 17 and a half and uh streets are tough so he's he's now got he's living with his mom um he's got uh his id he's got his social security he just got a job um so and we still keep in communication. Uh, so it's been, it's, it, it, and it was basically like the first person that I chose to walk up to. And this is not coincidence. This is God mm-hmm. because we would not have had that conversation if it had not been for my name being Sylvia. And we weren't even talking about his biological mother, but, but what I'm, trying to prove my point is if I can walk up to the first kid on the street and that be a foster youth, we have a serious issue. Not to mention the ones that are in the prisons. So that's another Mm -hmm. pipeline that they go straight from foster care to the prisons. And I believe it's within two years of leaving foster care. But that's just kind of something that we are very passionate about is reuniting families. So if you are a foster youth, you don't even have to be a youth. You could be any age 
and you're looking for your family, you can reach out to us and we will be more than happy to help connect you Mm -hmm. with your family. Have you worked with like, like say someone who was 25 or 26 contacting you saying I've been in the foster care and I'm looking for my parents. And I mean, that must be difficult to find or locate their parents. Yeah, we have, we haven't had one that's been, I had one former foster youth that reached out to me because he was being harassed by the sheriff of that town. And I looked into the sheriff and uh, found a lot of information, but um, I haven't had them where they, uh, I have another one that contacted me. I think she's probably 25. She's, we actually did find her, her, it was for her adopted family she was looking for. Mm -hmm. So you just never know who, who was that special someone in their life. And we have located them but we're waiting for their response. So that's another thing too. So, yeah. You know, there must be a lot of um, emotional heartbreak. You know, they're taken away at the, like you said, the age of six, that young man, some, you know, even younger, of course, and Mm -hmm. CPS aids in this, you know, it's, it's a, as far as their, maturity level what have you found in these foster kids that are you know now like aged out are they stuck at the age that they were taken um I wouldn't say that but I think KK could probably respond to that because she has been I mean uh she can respond more on that I mean they are there are things that they get they're like in survival mode So when you're in survival mode, you can't think rationally and logically. You're just in survival mode. But yeah, I definitely think KK could respond to that question. Um, So you're basically asking, um, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Okay, hopefully I can. Um, When, you know, you have a foster child that matures, Mm -hmm. are they still... uh, mentally stuck at the age when they were taken that they <clears throat> at the trauma when that happened um well at least for me like I know there's times where like okay so basically a little bit about my background is I was an orphan girl so um I was on the streets alone by myself and I got found by a police officer at the age of I don't even know how old I really was at the time but I just know I was walking at that age And he took me into the orphanage and, you know, off rip right there. It's like, you know, when you're stripped away from your family, that's already like a trauma that really scars you for really the rest of your life. But, you know, it, as you get older, you know, you're trying to do your best to like keep yourself up, you know? And Mm -hmm. yeah, there's moments where, you know, Sometimes I still question myself, like, you know, why did my parents leave me? Do they even care about me? Do they love me? So, you know, but I know as you get older, you're also like, while you're still still dealing with that type of stress, you're also trying to survive. So like she was saying, the survival mode. Yeah, that's very serious because when you're being conditioned, especially in foster care, your main goal is surviving. So it it, it does it is a lot harder, I will say, for foster youths to, you know, kind of get out of that type of mindset because that's what you've been conditioned to do. You know, sometimes like now I'm still kind of stuck in that mindset. It's like, okay, I, I got to survive. I got to make this type of money to live, to make sure I have food on the table. So at the end of the day, you're still kind of stuck kind of where you are. But then again, you mm-hmm. still have support and people helping you out. So I, I honestly will say 50-50 really for me but mm. I mean some I've heard some youth where they didn't let the past define them they they allowed themselves to get through those hurdles and obstacles and I mean of course I have some people it's a little bit harder you know because depending on what they really had to endure you know especially if you've been you know don't know your biological family you've been abused all those different even like your adopted family like not really being there for you so really I just think it depends on what the foster kid has to go through at a young age and how they get through it so I honestly will say 50 50 because 
And plus, each foster kid is different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I believe some of them do. And I believe some of them, they use that as a motivation to get them through. Mm -hmm. KK, do you think um, this is why a lot of them, I shouldn't say a lot of them because I don't know the stats, but end up in prisons? Yes. Um, matter of fact, actually, I mean, I know one personally, uh, he was, I met him in a foster, no, group home, my bad. And, um, you know, a lot of them, what typically ends up happening is when they don't have that support, like it really goes back to support, nurturing, caring for the child. Like they don't have that. They're going to go do whatever they want, end up being in a situation that they shouldn't have even been in or maybe not been in, but like they just got themselves in a situation, you know? And right now, one of them is actually in prison right now. Mm -hmm. They're about to get out soon. However, yeah, a lot of them actually do end up getting locked up. And some of them actually even die. And some of them actually also never get found. Oh, that's horrific. Uh, this whole thing is horrific. Um, you know, CPS participates in this. <clears throat> and getting these foster kids, it's basically a kids for cash. Yep. Yeah. And they cover it up a lot. They they have to. Another thing <clears throat> that I've noticed also being in the system is they will try to get you to lie so that you can cover up for them or they will lie. And that's a lot what goes on. Um, it, it's just it's just really crazy how um, they can do that. And it's like, how can you just lie to someone like that? And it's like there's a kid involved. This is someone's kid. Mm -hmm. Or a kid that we're talking about. This is not like a a grown-up person that, you, you know, and that's what I feel like a lot of the, some of them don't really have a heart. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't care. They just don't. And, and that's what blows my mind because it's like, how do you not care? What if this happened to your own child? Would you have cared? Because I know as a, as a parent figure, you do everything to fight for your kid. And that's what it's about. You need to fight for your kids and not even just for your kids, but for people that are getting hurt, abused, or they don't have a place to stay. Like they should be, you know, we should be helping everyone out that we can in our community. So that's another thing that blows my mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that comes from, I think they get desensitized because mm -hmm. when I worked in the foster system, I was not prepared. I mean, it was, it, it's a different world that people don't realize exist. And uh, I think my first six months was the hardest six months of being in the foster system. And I would go home crying every day. And then all of a sudden it was kind of like I was, I don't know, like I was desensitized to it and I could function in it and I could you know, like it was a different, like I watched the, and I was having a conversation with somebody. I watched myself change, you know, just being in the system. I remember when the kids first, when I first started and the kids came through that group home, I was like, Hey, my name is Sylvia. How are you doing? You know, like, and then when I realized that they're there, because it's not an, it's not a stable environment. It's not mm -hmm. a nurturing environment. And, and there was, you know, like, fights I was breaking up every day and uh runaways and uh 1013s and you know I mean it's you kind of get um you you realize that when the kid walks in the door you're like all right hey I'm I'm Miss Sylvia you know like my whole language mm -hmm. even changed from when I first started there as in you know the harshness of the environment the toxic environment and you are constantly like at that point you know kids were coming in from all different backgrounds and you're just looking to see which one's going to start the fight first so you're so then even your me mentality changes mm -hmm. because instead of like oh this kid is coming in has trauma you're looking to see if they're eyeing another girl to start a fight you know mm -hmm. you start watching those signs so and I think that's part of it mm -hmm. uh, it just must be very difficult uh, you, you were in the group home setting and you know how come some kids 
could be in a, a good foster home. I, I know it's rare where there are some good foster parents out mm-hmm. there, but then CPS comes and takes those kids out of that foster home and puts them in a really bad one. And I've heard of this happening. Um, oh, my bad. No, no, you're fine. Basically, like to answer your question is a lot of it, like, like I said, it really just goes back into the money because if like, even if like, let's say, like I told you, like how it goes back to the line, you know, uh, a lot of them, the workers, well, okay, I'm not going to say a lot of them. Some of them, because like you said, there are also some good caseworkers and some good foster parents too, but the ones that, you know, just completely lie, they'll say, oh, this kid did this and they'll remove them. And part of the reason why they removed them is so they can get more money. And also, you know, yeah, I mean, well, I'm not going to say every foster kid is bad too. Yeah, you'll have some uh, foster kids that will act out, but they're young. They're they're young. Like, what do you expect? They're going to like, you know, they're teenagers. What do you expect? Like, you expect like they're not going to lash out or do some things like every teenager goes through that rebellious stage or do those things. But a lot of that, they take that into a consideration of, well, they're acting out. So we're going to take them and remove them, put them somewhere else just to get more funding. That's really how it is. Yeah, she's she's exactly right. She's mm-hmm. very smart uh, because uh, they use the behaviors and it, it is the uh the kids that are coming in and they're going to have behavioral issues when they are traumatized uh, because they're acting out in survival mode. And, and then a lot of these medications they put them on makes them aggressive. That's something else that people don't realize is that when you put a child on anxiety medicine it makes them aggressive. And if you uh, combine certain medications, it makes them more aggressive. It also makes them more suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, um, that's another reason that they act out. Mm-hmm. But the more that they act out, the more money that they get. So like KK was a runner. So that put her as a higher pay because she was a risk, right? Mm-hmm. So um, she was considered what you would call an MWO. So it is about the money and they do um, get more funding with Medicaid on the doctor visits, on the psych evals, on the psychotropic medication. Then you got the therapist, then you got the behavior aid. Then you've got, you know, I mean, you just, you just came into a whole bunch of money, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can get that kid stable, then there's no money. You know, because if you got if you got a kid that's base, and I see KK's wanting to say something. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, it's going back to what you were talking about. Um, so I remember um I was in a foster home and the parent was basically, you know, okay, I don't know if you've heard of like uh they do like a psychological on foster kids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what they do it for is to see if they need, you know, like she was saying support like or medications or you know they need to meet with a a therapist or a psychiatric or you know whatever resources that they need so you know I had to do one and a lot of it they basically I always think it's very inaccurate just because Mm -hmm. it's like well how are you going to tell me I have something Mm -hmm. and and I look at it because see I was also very smart too Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't always say a lot, but sometimes I did say some things like when they were trying to invade my rights, I would stand up for myself because I'll be like, well, just because on paper it says I have bipolar disorder doesn't mean in reality I have bipolar disorder. Right. And all they wanted was just to my uh, foster parent wanted me to be like, oh, well, this medication will help you. I'm like, no, it's not because I don't need you to tell me a medication is going to help me with something that I don't have. Right. You know. I would tell her, I believe in Jesus. Jesus can cure me. I don't need a medicine to tell me. Y'all just want to use that to control me and get more funding. So I was very smart, too. And I advocated for myself a lot of times. Same with the vaccine. I was against that. I knew about what happened. And I did my own research, actually, on the vaccine. And my foster parent would look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, I'm not crazy. Y- y'all the crazy one for believing it. 
Right. And so that was another incident where they were like, oh, well, if you don't get vaccinated, you can't live in my house anymore. And that's another thing that drives me crazy because it's like you're going to use stuff like that to allow a kid to not be in a home, which is very sad Mm -hmm. because that's how a situation like how a kid will be on the streets. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't want to get a vaccine, they shouldn't have to. That's their rights at the end of the day. And they like to override your own rights. And that's another thing that I feel like uh, some of the case workers don't realize is that we have rights. And they don't really want us to know about our rights. Because they know that if we know our rights, we can use it against them. And that's why we have to know our rights. And that's another thing that I want to you know, tell foster youth is about their rights. Now, do you meet other, you know, foster kids and you're, are you able to tell them they have rights? Well, oh, the kids know. Oh, no, you can go. But they know they're the ones that taught me. They taught me their rights. Well, hmm. the thing is, so, okay. The, I had a, um, one of the girls that I used to, uh, that stayed at my old foster home. I would tell her like, you don't have to get on medication. Like if you don't want that, you don't have to just because she's telling you that you have to, you have the right to deny them. So I would try to remind her and tell her, like, if you're not comfortable with something, speak up. I get it. They're going to say all these different types of things, but if you don't stand up for yourself, that's how you let them get over you. So like, I would try to remind the girl, like you have a say so in this, this is your body you do what you want to do with it. Like, meaning if you want medication, then have it. If not, don't. So I'll remind her, like, some of the rules to tell her that you can stick up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that when I was in the group home, the kids taught me, and this is something that every foster youth should know, but they taught me, and this is by law because I ended up having to following this procedure. But they were like, uh, no, I'm not taking that medication. And if they refuse it three days in a row, you cannot give it to them because it's already out of their system. So they knew that if they refused it three days in a row, then you couldn't give it to them. So and I would have to follow that law. But it was the kids that told me that not the people, not my director. Mm-hmm. The director would get mad at me when I would tell them they're right. You know what I mean? So um, that is another thing that we are, you know, very passionate about is advocating for the youth and letting them know their rights um, on on medication, on on everything, on education. The education is awful because they change schools so much. They change Mm -hmm. homes so much. Um, They're very smart kids. Most of the ones that I had that miss school they read a lot you know that's how they escaped the world so they're very smart but um they're the foster system doesn't help in any way Mm -mm. like the education system they bounce all around and i've never seen where a a foster kid could be misplaced you know like because they'd act out at one home Mm -hmm. you'd have to find another home but they would have to do like respite in between because you're literally, and this is how it's done. You're literally calling these foster parents saying, Hey, I just need you to take this kid for the night. Like just, I need somewhere for this kid to sleep. Mm-hmm. So they're bouncing from home to home and they're mm-hmm. literally just sitting in the office with us. They're not going to school. And I mm-hmm. had one that would ride around with me all day, you know, like, so we're doing these kids a disservice mm-hmm. in every way possible. You know, when um, these kids are going through high school, say they want to get into the trades, you know, um, welding or whatever, would foster care allow them to do that or not? Yeah, it's um, not that foster care won't allow them to do it. It's basically what the foster parent, where there's living situation is. Like I had a lot of kids, they get funding for activities. Mm-hmm. Foster parents could take put them in sports, you know, keep them active, get that energy out. But the foster parent will not take the time to take them to the game. So they won't enroll them in baseball or soccer, anything like that. I had a few that would. 
And those kids were the most stable because they were able to get that energy out, that mm -hmm. anger. So it just depends on the living situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, what was your youngest age of foster child? Oh, my youngest. We had all age groups on there from baby to mm. 21. So my average caseload, I will tell you, was eight-year-old boys. That was my average. You know, were they ad adoptable? Is that why they were setting them all up to be adopted out? No, actually, they were very, um, I had a lot of reunifications with their family. I had uh, adoptions. I had my caseload. I worked my case. I, I worked my case plans and mm -hmm. that they didn't really like because there is money in them maintaining in the foster system. Mm -hmm. So they would tell, tell us that we had to maintain our numbers. So, and if we didn't maintain our numbers, we would be fired. And then they would also tell us that if we had um, kids being reunited or adopted, that we had to bring in more kids. So it, it is about maintaining your kids in the system. And uh, that just didn't sit right with me. And I was always getting called into the office saying you shouldn't say stuff about the numbers. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't say stuff because there should never, like, we need more, we need less kids in the foster system, mm -hmm. not more. We need less. But it's because of that Title IV-E funding, which at the time, when I was a caseworker, I was learning where the funding was coming from because I was applying for these waivers. So you have to apply for the waiver. And that's how I knew about how much money was coming in, how it was being, you know, allocated to the foster parent, to the group home or whatever. But it wasn't until I got into case managing that I saw the numbers and I didn't know it was from Title IV e funding until I was out of the system and started doing research from the parents. It was the parents that had their kids taken that told me about the Title IV e funding. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you kind of put it together because I was being beat up for not for for not maintaining my caseloads and not for bringing kids in and for being defiant. You know, uh, one thing they used to call me was they would diagnose us, the caseworkers, same way they would the kids. And they would say I had oppositional defiant disorder. <laughs> And I was like, yes, I got uh, that. <laughs> so they, they would give you psychological evals. Yeah. Well, no, they wouldn't. They would try, but they would basically just call. They would tell me, you know, you're defiant, you're oppositional, you're. And then that and that's that is a legit diagnosis that these kids get ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, mm -hmm. in order for them to put them on medication. And the kid is defiant because they're not following the rules of the system because they're doing like KK's saying, no, I have rights. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're defiant, right? Mm -hmm. That gives them a diagnosis. That is, that mm -hmm. is a shame that I, mm -hmm. you know, if you think if the taxpayers knew how their monies were being spent and handled, um, mm -hmm. would that shut down the foster care system <laughs> oh. well yeah if we got enough people that's the problem is getting people to care uh people don't care unless they're in, unless it hits them and 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 that's really what i was when i started speaking up i was that was my thinking was like if just a regular tax paying working person knew what the, really the foster system was, what their tax payer, what their tax money was going to, that they are actually funding human trafficking, yes. sex trafficking, then there would be an uprising. But we have to get the word out. 
because they don't know. And there's not a lot of case workers that, well, they're not speaking up. Um, they know what I'm saying is correct. And I, you know, I've been putting my name out there because I'm hoping that case workers will come to me and will say, Hey, I know what you're saying. You don't have to go on camera. You don't have to put your name out there, but I was just not okay with what I was experiencing in the system. You know, I was expecting to go in and be like, hey, I want to help KK. You know, like, all right, let's do this. No, you can't do that. You mm-hmm. have to do their little thing. Yeah. Yep. So do you think, well... I'm hearing from parents that, you know, babies are taken right at the hospital. The parent never did drugs. They're falsifying um, drug Mm -hmm. tests to get these kids into foster care so they can be adopted out really quick for more money. Yes. And and I don't know the the stats on that, to be honest with you, but, you know, what a destructive um, society we live in. This is just... Mm -hmm. It tears a family apart. I know I had one coworker. She had all of her kids at home because she said she had too many friends that had their kids taken. So this is not just, it's not just a myth or a, I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, this is, this is happening and it's really tearing families apart. And what it does is it causes the parents to be so, devastated that they can't function so they don't speak up which now they're starting to speak up we're getting calls all over the you know Mm -hmm. all over the world you know all over the world actually um but it it, and i think that will help that uh they people are speaking up they're tired of the family court system um and the other thing is is that when one person speaks up it empowers another to speak Mm -hmm. up and I think that's part of it too and then if we could just get caseworkers to come forward and people that have you don't even have to be a caseworker there's so many positions that I worked I was a transporter I was a behavior aid I was a parent behavior aid those behavior aids don't do anything but spend time with the kids. They're not special. They're not specially trained. They don't do anything but spend time. And that's all the kid needs is someone to spend time with them and uh, show them a little bit of love and nurture. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And if people would come forward, you, like you, if you're a behavior aid, a parent aid, and just show what the system is really like, it is not normal. It is not stable. It is not safe. And it's causing long-term harm to the kid and to the parents. Oh, it sure is. It, it sure is. Um, you know, trauma that they will never get over. Um, I mm. used to be uh, a psychiatric nurse and I got pulled to the kids unit. And I was so afraid of that. But, you know, this one girl had said, um, I'm miserable, so I want to make somebody else unhappy or something to that effect. And it's, this is dangerous. Okay. You know, I mean, they're hurting, hurt people, hurt people, but these are kids that uh, their brains have not fully developed. And I just, I just feel so bad because I mean, I didn't know what she had been through. You know, I was just there you know helping them out but um you know what do you think of that statement have you heard that out of kids mouths oh yeah oh yeah i've heard some i've heard some horrific things i mean some really i i i had this eight-year-old in my car and he told me i mean because they get suicidal and he i mean and this was just a few months on the job and He's like, I'm going to jump out of this car and you're going to watch me die and you're going to see blood all over the place. Oh. And, 
And I literally had to like pull the car over, call the crisis team. Um, I mean, yeah, these kids are hurting. Mm -hmm. They are, they are crying out for help. They're hurting. And I had never heard that out of a seven-year-old, eight-year-old's mouth. And I was like, oh my God, this, like, how did that thought even enter his brain? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, they're just, they're hurting. And then they're sent over to the psychiatric hospital, which you, you Mm -hmm. probably know a lot of stories of working in there. And then their medication is changed Mm -hmm. because they don't know. So they're basically guinea pigs because they're they're just trying out different methods to see what will work with that for that child. And then they're sent back home and the medication most likely is not correct. Mm-hmm. So they act out again and then they send them back and they have another change where they change it again. And they change it to a different dosage or different prescription. And when they finally get the child to where they're a little bit just barely functioning, then they have the perfect cocktail. That's what it's referred to as, Mm -hmm. the perfect cocktail. Have you ever heard that term? Mm -mm. Yeah. And then the kid is sent back home. But this happens over and over I had one kid that would act out every two weeks on clockwork that's terrible Uh, I read somewhere that the state of Texas is using experimental drugs on foster care kids I read that somewhere oh wow I believe it I I don't know where did I read that but I'm like are you kidding me this is (sighs) Yeah. What is, you know, I I know they're medicating these kids because they're acting out probably because they were taken away from good fit parents for money. Well, and the kids will tell you, um, you know, there's been, there was some cases I had where I think the, uh, the parents were homeless and they called defects for help and they oh, took no. the kids instead. Um, and, and then a lot of times now I will, I will say that there were times where they were being abused by the parents, but what happened was they stuck them in the same environment. So they didn't take them from an abused environment and place them in a stable and safe environment. They took them from an abused environment and placed them into an unknown abused environment. And that kid just readapted to the conditions that they were placed in. Wow. And, and um, that's my problem. No, no, go ahead. No, go ahead, KK. Um, all I was just saying is they put a lot of, you know, fear on these kids, you know, and they're traumatized. Like they are very fearful of their life, you know, like how she was just talking about how you don't expect a young boy to say something like that, that, oh, I want to you know, kill myself, basically. Like, I believe that a lot of the, you know, well, a few CPS workers or just people that they deal with, they put a lot of fear into these kids, you know? And like like she was saying, they're crying out for help. They need help. We mm-hmm. we need to help them because it's not even just about, the, it's, it's about all of us because we're all a part of it at the end of the day, regardless if you want to face that or not, it's the truth. It affects all of us. And and that's what people need to really realize and wake up to is that we got to help these kids and we also got to help ourselves and bring our country back together. That's what's more important. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, you know, going to keep praying for my friends and my family and other people to start waking up. And, you know, I do believe slowly, little by little, people are starting to wake up and, you know, shutting off the TV and really paying attention to what's going on, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's just, yeah, we got to wake up. You know, another thing that is extremely disturbing with foster care is once a person, a young person gets out of foster care, and they want to start a family of their own, then immediately CPS is back at their door. It's like they're haunted, continuously 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another thing that I found. Uh, there are a lot of families that are reaching out to me. And, and the first question that I'm starting to ask now is, were you in foster care? And um, it's because they, I even had one I talked to last week and the, they just TPR'd her and they told her it was because she was in foster care and she was traumatized by foster care. Now, if you can admit that the system is traumatizing them and then use it against them in order to take their kids. That's mm-hmm. messed up. Yeah. Is messed up. She even has that in the transcript. They're just, Oh, it just, it's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Like they yeah. just want their kid to go through the same thing that their parents just went through. And that's, they're the parents are trying to allow the kids to have a better life than they did. You know, that's a lot of what parents do. They want right. to their kids to have a better life than they did or, you know, learn from their mistakes so that the kid, you know, doesn't have to go through what they went through. And CPS just makes it even a lot harder for them, their their kids because it's like the cycle just keeps continuing and we got to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. And it takes all yeah. of us to break it. So true. Yeah. You know, where can people reach you if they want to get in touch with you, if they have, you know, questions or anything? Um, It's best by email. Um, If you uh, reach out at rescuethefosters at proton.me. We also have a website. It's called rescuethefosters.org. We are still working on the website, so it's not complete. Um, if you're a former foster youth, you know, reach out. We will definitely, um, we really want former foster youth or even in the system. If you're in the system and you have, uh, if you're in an environment that you do not feel safe, um, please contact us. And I will give my phone number for that, you know, for youth that are, you uh, you know, reaching out. My phone number is 770-861-0898. It's on the website. It's on our business cards. Um, But the foster youth are really the ones that we want them to have a safe environment. You know, and and you want them to have a happy childhood and that's been right or taken from them. Right. And if you had any advice for uh, a caseworker, either CPS or foster care, what would it be? My advice is to listen to the children. You know, um, children don't lie unless there's a reason to lie. So I had um, a youth that, you know, they wanted out of the, the placement so they would tell a lie. But why are they telling that lie? It's because they want out of the placement. And I used to get uh, my director and supervisor used to make fun of me because I would listen to the kids, but I always did my research, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you listen to the kids, then they are talking like, and that's what like they're, they've been talking. They will tell you they don't want to be there. And then what happens? Nothing. And we were not allowed to move them. I remember ha- having wanting to move quite a few kids and not being able to. And they would tell me to look for um, marks or bruises. And it's not always in the form mm-hmm. of a mark or bruise that is visible. Uh, uh, emotional abuse you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also... Uh, incidents where uh, they will, you know, like use like water as a method of, you know, like freezing cold water or hot scolding water. You can't see that, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I would say, listen to the child and follow your gut. Always be truthful. Even when you're getting backlash, um, even when you're getting I was written up 
I was put on leave, um, you know, always just be, um, be a good person. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> what would you say, KK? I say, um, like you said, listen to the child, be consistent. Um, don't let them put you in this like box or this trap where you're always constant in fear because that's what they want. They want to put this fear on you because they know that they can use that tactic. Then they know that they've already, you know, won. So don't let them just don't even try to even like do your best and not even be fearful because really they're not, they're just normal people too. You know, God is bigger than anybody at the end of the day so don't let the their fear tactics get in your way that's just what they want to do so that they can stop you from doing what you do um keep your paperwork mm -hmm. um you know any documents like print them out conversations or anything emails because i've also realized that you know they will try to take that away as you to use that as evidence because, you know, they can wipe it out if they really want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I say print everything out, documents out, be consistent, um, you know, show up to your board meetings, show up to the schools, talk to people around you, communicate with your neighbors, you know, talk to them and ask them. And, you know, even if you see a person that's homeless or just talk to them, like how Sylvia did, she went up to the boy and gave him a few dollars and asked him what his story is like it's it don't take but a five minute conversation to talk to somebody about stuff so you know just I would those are some of my advice just staying consistent and mm -hmm. you know keep praying you know um keep your faith in God if you believe in God and you know uh, get into the word and also have good support people to help you so that's what I recommend and stay active too because you, it can also get you very stressed. And I know exercising is a very good way to cope and help you relieve stress and eating well, too. Mm -hmm. Excellent advice. I'd like to have you back on the podcast in the future. I know you're very busy. Yeah, we would love to be back. Oh, good. I'm glad. So and thank you for all this information. People need to know this and what's going on. But uh, don't jump up. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Sylvia Beachy and Kachal Emmett. And I totally thank you for your time and coming on here and educating us. Thank you. Thank you.